When I had my first child, I wanted peace of mind, which is why I used Policy Genius to get term life insurance. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. And some options are 100% online and let you avoid unnecessary medical exams. The process was so simple. I filled out some information, I compared rates, and I spoke to their award-winning agents all in a matter of minutes. And your work life insurance policy may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And the worst part is it may not go with you if you leave your job. Policy Genius has no incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. And you can go get peace of mind by finding the right life insurance with Policy Genius. So head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes to see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. One of my favorite ways to invest is real estate, but not everyone wants to handle tenants and toilets. Enter Fundrise. They make it easy to invest in real estate with their flagship fund. Now, as always, you always have to carefully consider the investment objectives and risks of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. But right now, demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. And the Fundrise flagship fund plans on going on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with just as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash PFP. As always, carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash PFP. That's fundrise.com slash PFP. This is a paid advertisement. On this episode of the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to talk about if you can't afford a house, it is not your fault. And I'm going to explain exactly why. Everybody and welcome to the Personal Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, founder of MasterMoney.co. And today on the Personal Finance Podcast, we're going to be talking about how if you cannot afford a house, why it's not your fault. And if you guys have any questions, make sure to hit us up on the socials, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, at MasterMoneyCo, and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you love listening to this podcast on. And if you want to help out the show, leave a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast player. And if you want to watch the show, you can watch us on the Andrew Gencola YouTube channel as well. Now, today, we're going to be diving into, if you can't afford a house, I'm going to show you exactly why you can't afford a house. Really excited to go through that. But in addition, we're going to answer two other questions today. So the first question is, if you struggle with budgeting and you cannot keep a budget month in and month out, what should you do? I'm going to give you an exact system of exactly what you can do if you struggle with this. And we're also going to talk about AGI and why it's important. What is AGI is adjusted gross income. And it's really important come tax time. It's really important in figuring out exactly which retirement accounts you should be prioritizing. So there's a number of different things that you definitely want to do. So we're going to talk through AGI and we're going to explain it in very, very simple terms so that you have a better understanding and can make better financial decisions going forward. So if that's something you're into, let's get into it. 
All right, so one of the biggest news stories right now is how millennials and most people who are out there looking to buy either their first house, their second house, or just find their forever home cannot buy a house because housing affordability is so low right now. It is one of the biggest problems that most of you, the listeners, are struggling with. All of you wealth builders out there are sending me messages on how you are really having a hard time finding a house. Well, I'm gonna explain to you today because a lot of people are beating themselves up saying, hey, I can't can't find a house that I can afford. You know, I'm trying to find a house that will only be 30% of my income. I cannot find that. I don't want to be house poor. I don't know what to do anymore. And so today I'm going to show you exactly why this is happening and why it's not your fault and why you have to stop beating yourself up about this. So this is something where I want you to have a more positive attitude about this because I'm going to show you the numbers and we're going to dive into a couple different scenarios of historic home prices. We're going to look at income levels and education expenses. All these different things are going to parlay into why housing affordability is one of the most difficult, difficult things to overcome right now. So obviously the cost of housing right now is astronomical. But what happened over the last four years is the real problem. And I'm gonna go through this with you and show you why it is the real problem. So if you can't afford a house, it is not your fault. Let me show you why. So let's go back and take a time machine back to 1995. In 1995, the average house was worth $130,000 in the US. Now you may be saying, well, Real estate is really location dependent, and so doing the average house across the U.S. is not really going to matter. This is going to matter once you see the income levels and how this actually link up together. So on this $130,000 house in 1995, if you put 20% down, that's $26,000, and interest rates were just above 7%. So principal and interest on this house would be $735 per month, okay? So remember that number, $735 per month. Now, we move up to 2019, because I'm gonna show you these last four years are truly what the problem has become. So in 2019, the average house cost $260,000. A $260,000 house, based on the average incomes at that time, was very affordable for a lot of people. So a 20% down would be about $52,000. Obviously, you don't have to put 20% down, but we're just using that for these examples. And at a 4% interest rate is what the interest rates were in 2019. So principal and interest would have been $993 per month. So here's where the jump happens, and this is where it starts to get crazy, is when we jump to 2023. The average home jumped to 419,000 in 2023. So in 2019, the average home was 260,000. In 2023, the average home jumped to $419,000. But here's the numbers on this. If you put 20% down on a house that costs $419,000, that means you'd be putting $84,000 down. So saving up $84,000 is a very difficult thing to do. And if you put less than that, you'd be paying PMI and additional insurance that you otherwise would not have to pay if you put that 20% down. And we're looking at a seven plus percent interest rate. They just raised interest rates again, so those are gonna go up even higher. So principal and interest would be $2,283 per month. So this is absolutely insane. Think about this for a second. This is a $1,290 jump in just four years on principal and interest payments. Whereas between 1995 to 2019, the jump was only $258. So in four years, the jump was $1,290, but over the course of well over 20 years, 
it was just $258. So the housing market over that time frame was pacing normally from 95 to 2019. Then from 2019, we are having this wacky event going on based on COVID-19 and a number of other factors. Now we have supply issues. People are not selling their houses because where are they going to go? And when you have a supply problem and really high demand, prices are going to go up. When you don't have the supply and you have really high demand, prices go up. You could think of this in the COVID-19 toilet paper issue, for example, where all of a sudden people were just buying toilet paper like crazy and they were listing toilet paper for like $50 a roll and people were paying it because demand was so high. This is what's happening in the car market. This is what's happening in a number of other factors as well, but it is not affordable for anybody because of these interest rates. Now, let's dive a little deeper here. Let's look at average income throughout these years because this is where it gets really, really sticky. So in 1995, the average income was $29,000. In 2019, the average income was $56,000. In 2023, the average income is still $56,000. And so this is what leads to the percentage of your income that would actually be used for housing. So in 1995, 31% of your income in that situation would be used for housing if you made the average income throughout the US. 31% is really on the line. We'd like it to be below there. So obviously, since it's the average, some people are skewing that number higher. Most people they could find affordable homes in that range. In 2019, it's even better. 21% of your income would be spent on that average housing price. That is fantastic. And that's how you truly build wealth, which is why at the beginning of this podcast, we said, you know, try to spend 30% or less of your income. But if you can get below 20%, that'd be amazing because we started this podcast in 2020 and that was still doable at that time. Then in 2023, guess what percentage of your income would be utilized for housing based on these average housing prices? 49% of your income. If you spent 49% of your income on housing, you would be house poor. And this is when millennials started complaining was in the last four years and for good reason. This is not your fault. The prices of housing is way too high based on what the income is right now. This is where the problem lies because everything was pacing fine. Then all of a sudden, the last four years, we had this crazy increase in prices and you'd have to use 49% of your income. That means you would become house poor. But let me give you another example of this because I don't think a lot of people are grasping how impactful this can actually be. Let's take a look at the 1980s, for example. So Personal Finance Club, Jeremy from Personal Finance Club, who has been on this podcast, had a great graphic here. We can show it on the screen as well if you're watching on YouTube. With this great graphic, it basically said, millennials are financially worse off than their parents. And so what is happening here? So they went back to 1983 and looked at the numbers in 1983 and then came up to today and looked at the numbers today, which are even more recent than some of the numbers I was looking at in 2023. So home prices have increased even more since then. So you can look at the home price in 1983. The average home price is $56,420. Today, the average home price at the time recording this is $436,800. College tuition in 1983 cost $1,031 a year. College tuition today is $12,016 per year. The average salary was $21,380 in 1983. Today, the average salary is $58,260 across the US based on this data here. And during this time, home prices rose 8x and college tuition rose 9x, but salaries only went up 2.7x. This is why affordability is so difficult for you right now. 
So you're beating yourself up. I can tell you with certainty, this is not your fault. This is something that's happening economically, which I don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know me. I do not like to predict anything that's going to happen in the future. So we're going to have to see and let this play out. What can you do? What can you do about this, though? So it depends on your location. Obviously, the real estate is very, very location specific. One of the things you can do is keep renting until rates go up. And I'm going to explain why renting is not a bad thing in a second. In fact, for a lot of situations, renting is a good thing and you should not beat yourself up for renting does not mean you're financially less than someone else. In fact, a lot of people who overspend on their housing are going to be way worse off financially than you will be by just continuing to rent. Number two is you can consider something like house hacking, but it's not convenient to house hack where you live in one unit. You buy a duplex, triplex, quadplex, you live in one unit and you rent out the other three units, which is going to subsidize your housing costs and or you may even be able to live for free if you have enough rent coming in. And they can also qualify you for more house because of that. You can buy a house at a more expensive price because they can qualify the other units as income coming to you. Or you can consider something like a live and flip where every two years you are living in the house fixing it up and then flipping it. We have episodes on exactly how to do both of those things, house hacking and live in flips. We can link them up down the show notes below, but none of these are convenient. There truly are no good answers. And so if you don't want to house hack, if you don't want to do a live in flip, then continuing to rent may be your answer. And let me show you why it's okay to rent because home prices have appreciated about 3.5% annually on average. And during shorter periods of time, there may be some big variations like we had over the course of the last 15 years or so where house prices have just skyrocketed, but it's been 3.5 to 5% annually on average. But what people don't do is on those annual averages, they don't factor in additional costs where a lot of times your home is not that great of an asset. There's a lot of reasons to buy a home. Ever since I left college, I bought my first house and I've owned a home for that time period. But I'm the first to admit as a homeowner, a home is not a good financial investment and you should not be buying a home because it's a better financial investment than would be to rent. So initially, There's a bunch of different costs that will bake into this. So initially, your initial cost, for example, that none of these factor into renting. You got the down payment. So you have to save up for a down payment. You got opportunity costs of that money that you're losing out on. You have closing costs. You have your home inspection that you have to pay for. You have survey fees that you have to pay for. You have appraisal fees that you have to pay for. And you have credit report fees, closing costs, all of this different stuff is going to be factoring into you just purchasing a home. And all of that stuff up front that you put into purchasing a home outside of the down payment is just money you're throwing out the window because it goes to other folks who are helping you facilitate that transaction, okay? So the initial purchase cost, that's one section of costs that you're gonna have in a house. Then you're gonna have recurring costs in a house. What are the recurring costs? These are things like mortgage payments, property taxes, where you can argue if you're renting, you're still paying the property taxes because you are. If you are renting a unit, the landlord is just baking the property taxes into your rent. Homeowner's insurance, mortgage insurance, HOA fees are baked into this. Utilities. So you have to pay the utilities. If you don't pay utilities with renting, most people do pay utilities with renting, but utilities are there and it's way more than an apartment would be if you have a house internet and cable TV, landline, all that stuff is recurring stuff. And if it's baked into your rent, then it's additional cost that's going to follow to your bottom line. This is the big one though, is maintenance and repairs. A lot of people don't think about how much maintenance and repairs are until they get a house. If you never factored this in, routine maintenance, lawn care, pest control, landscaping, all of those things alone cost you thousands of dollars per year. What I just said right there, even if you do your own landscaping, if you do your own lawn care, it's still gonna cost you thousands of dollars per year. 
repairs. So roof replacement, plumbing issues, electrical issues, renovations and upgrades. So if you want to renovate your house to make sure it looks good, to make sure it's updated so that your resale value is higher later on down the line, then you're going to have to pay a lot of money for that where your landlord would just replace it if you were renting a house. So this is dishwashers, refrigerators, washers and dryers. All of this is going to break and you're going to have to replace it. Home warranty. If you have a home warranty, you got to pay for that kind of stuff. Although I don't love most home warranties, which we can talk about another episode. Other potential costs, flood insurance. If you live in somewhere like Florida, for example, you have flood insurance all over the place. If you live on the coastline, there's flood insurance all over the place. Earthquake insurance, if you're somewhere on the West Coast. Septic system maintenance, if your house is on a septic system. There's snow removal, tree removal, window cleaning, security systems. The list goes on and on and on with how many costs are associated with owning a house. This isn't even talking about like emergency costs that come up. There's so many different things that come up where if you rent, you're paying your rent, maybe your utilities, maybe your cable, and you know what your fixed costs are going to be every single month. When you own a house, you have no idea. Stuff just comes up left and right. So you have to think through these costs. And we are actually going to put together a spreadsheet. I am working on it with our team here. We're going to put together a spreadsheet on how to run the numbers when you're buying a house. Because I'm all for you owning a house. There's a ton of other reasons why you should buy a house. And they should all be lifestyle reasons. But as a financial reason, sure, over time, your house is going to be worth more than when you bought it for if you live in that house for 30 years. That is true. But at the same time, the rate of return is not going to be high because most people don't factor in these costs. And so I just want you to have that knowledge. Sure, you will most likely come out ahead on that 3% gain every single year. You will most likely come out ahead. But it's not throwing money away to be renting. There is nothing wrong with renting. And I want you to know that if you are out there renting because you can't afford a house right now, I want you to know it is okay to rent financially. Last year, I was not tracking my finances like I should. And truthfully, it's because I had not found an easy way to automate that process. Then I found a tool called Monarch Money, which changed that for me because it made it so incredibly easy. I synced my accounts and in one click, it created a budget for me based on my past spending habits. And Monarch is a top rated all in one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get a 30 day extended free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash PFP. And Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product. And they have tools that allow you to seamlessly collaborate with your partner. And after trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash PFP. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash PFP for your extended 30-day free trial. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. And if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. And they have a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. So ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers 
agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash personal finance. Just go to Indeed.com slash personal finance right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash personal finance. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some of my favorite memories over summer is going on vacation with the family, but summer fun can get expensive. And when you have financial goals, you need to decide what's worth it and what you value. And a Chime checking account can help you reach your financial goals while still enjoying summer. So take back your finances with features like SpotMe, which is a no-fee overdraft protection. Or you can get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. And you can learn more at Chime.com PFP. They have no monthly fees or maintenance fees and over 60,000 fee-free ATMs. So live it up this summer and make progress towards your financial goals with Chime. And you can open your account in minutes at Chime.com slash PFP. That's Chime.com slash PFP. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bank Corp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Boosts are available to eligible Chime members enrolled in SpotMe and are subject to monthly limits. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. The key to winning in any business is making sure you have the right business partner. An example is Procter & Gamble or Ben & Jerry. But what about the perfect partners when it comes to growing your business? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million dollars stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. And most people know one of your biggest struggles when it comes to starting an online business is finding new customers, and Shopify can help you do that. And what I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PFP, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash PFP now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash PFP. All right, question number one is, I struggle to keep a budget. What should I do? So this is one of my favorite things to talk about for people who have never heard of this, because what we talk about is there's two ways to budget here. There's one, which is a line by line item budget, which is what you think of like the traditional spreadsheets where people are in their spreadsheets all the time. The spreadsheet nerds are learning how to optimize their finances and do this all day long. There's also a second way to budget for people who just really cannot stick to a budget. Like if you were the type of person who hates budgeting, you think budget sounds like a cuss word and you do not want anything to do with spreadsheets and or you don't even want to use something like mint or you don't want to use tiller or you don't want to use YNAB. You want nothing to do with budgets. You are out on budgets, and all you want to do is find a way where you can manage your money without budgets. Well, boy, oh boy, does your boy got something for you. So we call this the reverse budget. And the reverse budget has actually been around a long time. Warren Buffett has always talked about pay yourself first, then spend what is left over. And that is what the reverse budget is actually established upon, is paying yourself first. So here's exactly how this works. 
is you figure out what you want your savings rate to be, and then you save that off the top every single time you get paid, and then you spend what is left over. Now, obviously, you need to leave enough money for what your bills are and all those different things, but you spend what is left over. So you get paid, boom, you take your 20% off the top to save for your emergency fund and your investments, and then you spend what is left over. And the beautiful thing about this is this allows you to budget without having to think about it anymore. Now, is it the most optimized way? No, but if you wanna be the most optimal person, then that's a different way to budget, but you're probably not that person if you struggle to budget. So for you, you just wanna be able to retire comfortably, build wealth, reverse budget is amazing for this. And so most people are going to love what the reverse budget allows you to do. First of all, it makes savings a priority because when you reverse budget, you're automatically saving, so your money's going into your emergency fund. You can automate this very easily where it goes right into your high-yield savings account. The money goes automatically into your investment accounts every month, to your Roth IRA, to your HSA, to your 401k. All of this stuff happens automatically because you set it up that way. Number two, simplicity. You don't have to be tracking things in a spreadsheet every single month and looking for the most optimal way to save on groceries. Instead, you know you got 600 bucks a month for groceries per person, and that's what you're spending on groceries. I'm just making up a number. I know that sounds high for some of you. Maybe it's low for some of you. I don't know how much you spend. But you have that amount every single month for groceries, and you are going to go out there and spend that amount of money. It promotes discipline because you're still saving off the top. You just don't have to think about it. It allows for automatic growth of your accounts because automating it, boom, goes in the account, that's still gonna grow over time. It allows flexibility, so you don't have to worry about this stuff all the time, and it gives you peace of mind because you're still doing what you're supposed to be doing with your finances, but you don't have to spend so much time and feel guilty all the time. This removes guilt for a lot of people, and what I've noticed is when we implement the reverse budget for folks, they really feel way less guilty than they did before. They felt so guilty that they did not have a budget or maybe a cash envelope system or whatever other types of budgets are out there, and so they knew they needed to do something, and the reverse budget is the way to fully automate this system. And it helps you do goal setting and all this different stuff. So this is really, really effective. The key though, is you got to figure out what your bills are every single month. So you can go back to your bank statements, for example, for the last three months, and you only got to do this one time and figure out, hey, how much am I actually spending in my money? And then you can save off the top and allocate those dollars towards your emergency fund and towards your investment accounts. And then you just spend the remaining amount in your checking account because all you want to do is money to flow into your checking account and then it's going to flow out of your checking account. That's what the checking account is there for. It's just a transaction zone, essentially, where your money flows in, flows out, flows in, flows out. You don't want a stacked checking account. You want your money working for you. So you either put in a high yield savings account at 5% or you throw it into something else like your investments. And that is how your checking account is just going to flow money through there. And so you can budget this really, really easy without having to lift a finger. Once you have these automated things set up, you don't ever have to lift a finger. So if that is you, love the reverse budget. It is my favorite way to go for most people who cannot budget. And for most people, they have said how amazing this has been in their lives so they don't have to worry about it anymore. So for me, for example, there are seasons where I get super, super busy. And so I let my line by line in a budget fall behind. And when that happens, I'm reverse budgeting automatically because everything I have set up is completely automated. So every time I get paid, boom, Money is going into my IRA, then my 401k, then 
It's going into my savings for investment properties and it's going into my emergency fund. All of these different things are happening automatically because I set it up that way. And it's so beautiful when this happens because you spend so much less time on your money. Now, when I'm not as crazy busy, then, or if I feel like we're falling behind in some place, then I'll start budgeting line by line again just to optimize everything. So I actually do a hybrid approach myself even when I'm budgeting where there are seasons where I am just so incredibly busy. Maybe we have a newborn and there's other things going on where I'm busy and so I'm reverse budgeting. And so you can do the same exact thing too where you reverse budget and then you use some automated system. If you do reverse budget, I like to use something like Rocket Money, for example, add that in because it allows you to at least track your subscriptions. It'll alert you if weird spending happens, but you at least wanna do that and then you just wanna review all your credit card transactions every month, make sure there's nothing fishy in there. But outside of that, that is the way that you can reverse budget and really make an impact impact on your finances, it will build up over time without you even having to think about it. So love the reverse budget for this. Hopefully that is super, super helpful for you. If you got questions about that, make sure you reach out to me. It is a really easy system. And we're thinking about doing a full automation course to show you how to just fully automate your money. So you don't even have to think about it anymore. So that's something coming down the pipeline. Make sure you stay tuned for that as well. Let's get to the next one. So the third one is, I've heard you in a number of your episodes talk about AGI. What is AGI and why is it important? Okay, so AGI, a lot of times we will talk about when you're trying to think about if you want to contribute money into your Roth IRA or your 401k, and I just want you to understand what your AGI is. So let me show you kind of what AGI is, and I'll tell you why it's important. So AGI stands for Adjusted Gross Income. And it is a measure of income calculated from your gross income, and it is used for tax purposes. So it includes things like your wages, interest, dividends, and other income, but it is adjusted by subtracting your deductions. So that's like the simplest way to put it. Now, here's a general breakdown of how it's determined. So you start with your gross income, meaning income before taxes are, take, are taken out. So this is your wages, your salaries, your bonuses, interest, dividends from stocks, for example, business income, capital gains, and a bunch of other sources of income. So all of your income all combined together. If you have seven streams of income, all of that is combined as your gross income. And then you subtract adjustments to your income. So these are very specific deductions allowed by the IRS. So you can look at this on irs.gov. We can link it up down below. But some of these things are like educator expenses. So if teachers go out and buy supplies for their classroom, this can be deducted. Student loan interest. You can look at contributions to your IRA. That's why we like contributing to our IRA that were not deducted from your paycheck. So if you had a 401k where it was sent automatically into your 401k, that was already deducted from your paycheck. But if you contribute after the fact to an IRA, that can be deducted. Certain other contributions, like your HSA contributions, if you contribute to an HSA because you have a high deductible health plan, or self-employed retirement plans, or self-employed health insurance premiums. So for me, for example, I'm self-employed, so my 401k is through my companies, and so that's deducted on the back end, which is really, really cool. Alimony paid is another one, and there's just several others. So you can check out the list on the IRS website that we will link up down below. Now, why does this matter? Because why is AGI important? So number one, it determines your tax bracket. So your AGI is going to determine which tax bracket you fall into. And with the U.S. federal income tax system, since it's progressive, that means that higher levels of income are taxed at higher rates. But it's a progressive system. If you don't know what that is, reach out to me and I'll explain that to you. It also is important because it tells you if you're eligible for specific deductions and credits. So many tax deductions have AGI thresholds or phase-out ranges 
based on your AGI. So if your AGI is too high, you might not be eligible for certain deductions and credits. Eligibility for contributions. So for example, to contribute directly to your Roth IRA, as we all know, you cannot make more than a certain amount of income. So you have to do a backdoor Roth IRA if your AGI is too high. Then this also matters because your taxable social security benefits. So when you get into retirement, it becomes a game to try to figure out how you can lower your taxable income so you can get more of your social security benefits because your social security will be taxed based on your income. So you got to make sure that combined with some other forms of income will be factoring into how much taxes you're paying in college or in retirement. Financial aid is also, if your family member is applying for financial aid for college, AGI is a crucial component to that. It matters for state taxes. It matters for stimulus checks. So you can remember in during COVID-19 times where people would get their stimulus checks and then some people didn't if you made too much. So that they factor in AGI to make sure that they understand all that stuff. So all of this really, really matters for a number of different things. So it is good to use something like an online AGI calculator to kind of get a rough estimate or have your accountant do this for you. If you use an accountant, another great reason to have an accountant, but have them give you what your AGI is currently and they can run this number for you pretty quickly. Most of them should know what it is in their file they're good and have that available for you. So making sure you know what that number is, is something that's going to be helpful for you in determining a number of different factors when you make financial decisions. But I wanted you guys to know, because we do talk about it a lot on this episode. So if you've never heard of that before, then that's a great thing to know. And if you want to learn more about it, I would check with your local CPA if you use one, because they can really, really show it based on your personal situation. And that's really helpful. The first time I learned about it when I was really, really young, I remember talking to a CPA about this, and then they just took my own situation and kind of showed it to me. Boom, completely made sense. So one of those things where it's really helpful, especially if you're a visual learner, to kind of see some of the impacts based on your personal situation. So love that as well. Listen, hope you guys learned a ton in this episode. If you guys have any questions, make sure to reach out to me. Cannot thank you guys enough for investing in yourself. That's what you were doing when you listen to this podcast is investing in yourself. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you listening, and we will see you on the next episode. 